Darren Woodson is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class this year. Let's go ahead and talk more about Arizona State Sun Devils football stars who deserve to get to the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day on this edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Our Locked on Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, all you wonderful people, and welcome back to the Locked On Sun Devils podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Richie Bradshaw, and I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, if you want to check us out in a visual platform. But no matter where you're getting your podcast, hit like and subscribe and turn on notifications so you get an update whenever we post new content. Stay in touch with that content by following me on Twitter. You can find me at richiebrads 36 you can find the podcast as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. Darren Woodson is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. More than deserving as Woodson was one of the most feared safeties in the league when he played from 1992 to 2004. All of those seasons with the Dallas Cowboys in that time frame, he made the Pro Bowl five times, which were all consecutive from 1994 to 1998. He also made first-team All-Pro four times in those five years and won three Super Bowls. We'll talk about more of his stats here later on in the podcast as I have seven players that I want to talk about who deserve to get to the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day or at least have an argument for the Hall of Fame, whether it's a veteran player or a more recent player. But I have seven guys. We're going to go seven to one in order on this podcast. Let's start with a guy who had a really, really hot start to his career, pulling down a little bit, missing some time with injury, and only ending up playing a whopping nine seasons in the league. That, or excuse me, eight seasons in the league. That player is John Jefferson. Now, John Jefferson is somebody that Arizona State fans will forever adore and talk about as one of the greatest Sun Devils of all time, and with very good reason, because Jefferson was absolutely dominant during his stretch of time with Arizona State, was a very, very good football player. He he is one of the all-time greatest Sun Devils, regardless of position. He's got one of the most iconic plays in the college's history of the program with the original catch against U of A in the back of the end zone. He has countless highlights with the Sun Devils, but he also had a very strong start to his NFL career, the reason why he's seven on my list instead of higher is just because the second half of his career isn't as impressive. But still, in his first three seasons in the league, he accumulated over 3,400 yards, a little bit shy of 3,500, and 36 touchdowns. The dude was absolutely on fire during his three years with the San Diego Chargers back then and was absolutely instrumental in everything that the team wanted to do. Unsurprisingly, he made the Pro Bowl in all three years. He was a thousand yard receiver as a rookie, which back then was completely unheard of. It's not like today's league where you're going to have several guys cross the thousand yard barrier this year. And it, it, it's just it's it, it's a very different game. He played in the late 70s to the mid 80s from 1978 to 1985. This is prime run heavy football. 
this is not throw the football all over the place. You have very few exceptions. The Chargers, of course, being one of those exceptions. But nonetheless, he absolutely benefited from it. And he was a dynamic deep threat during his three years with the Chargers. He averaged 17.2 yards per reception. The dude was just lights out. In 1980, he actually had 83.8 yards per game, which if you compare that to some of the greats, is a lot of yards per game. Very, very good player. I believe he also led nah, that was just that was just a no, he did lead the league. I'm not crazy. Yeah. He led the league in uh, yards per game that year. He also led the league in uh, total yards with 1,340 yards, and he also led with 13 touchdowns. The only thing that makes his case a little bit weaker, like I said, is the remainder of his career. He ended up ending up in Green Bay from 1981 to 1984, in which he recorded a solid 2,253 yards, but only 11 touchdowns which included two seasons where he had zero touchdowns before ending up in Cleveland in 85, playing seven games, catching three catches for 30 yards, and then was out of the league and eventually retired. Not the strongest case in the world, but when you consider what he did to start his career and the time frame that he did it, ending his career with 5,714 yards, 47 touchdowns, and 16.3 yards per catch, it's definitely a okay argument. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the best argument in the world, but I do have John Jefferson at number seven. Number six for me has a little bit of heartstrings attached to me, and that's Todd Heap. Todd Heap had a very long NFL career. He did have some shortened seasons due to injury that unfortunately impact his stats a little bit, but he was one of the original like move tight ends and receiving tight ends that the 21st century got to enjoy so much. Todd Heap walked so that Rob Gronkowski could run. He was an absolutely dynamic weapon for a Baltimore Ravens passing attack that really just never had any guys. He came to the team in 2001, one year after they won the Super Bowl. He had a slow start to his career playing 12 games and starting six with 206 yards and a single touchdown. But from there, he absolutely took off. He had 836 yards his second year in 2004, which was his fourth year. He only played six games due to injury. Then he came back from injury to record 855 yards, bless you, Harley, and 765 yards. 2007, again, he missed some time, only played six games again. But then he came back again, not as strong as he did the first time. But overall, in his 10 years with Baltimore, he had 5,492 yards and 41 touchdowns, which if you compare that to some of the tight ends that he got to play with during his time, you compare him to a guy who I believe should end up in the Hall of Fame one day in uh, Dallas Clark. His numbers stack up very, very well. Towards the later half of it, or not the later half, the later end of his career, he played two seasons with the Arizona Cardinals and only had 377 yards in 12 games. So while he did play 12 years, that does obviously impact his yards per year average. But in his 10 years with Baltimore, he averaged almost 550 yards per season. And again, that doesn't seem like a lot in the big perspective of things, but it was a very, very solid amount and still kind of like trailblazing for what you had to deal with way back when 
when it came to NFL tight ends. Like I said, you had a guy like Todd Heap who was part of the trailblazers in the 21st century in order to get tight ends to a respectful receiving role. Obviously, you had guys before him. I'm not trying to take away from the Ozzie Newsoms or the Jackie Smiths or the uh, Kellen Winslow seniors of the world who did it prior to the 21st century. But the 21st century and specifically the 2010s was when the tight end position truly took off and you had Rob Gronkowski and you had Travis Kelsey. While Todd Heap isn't in the same frame as Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, who did it at the same time, and this is why he's lower on my list, I do believe that Todd Heap was very, very important. Him, Dallas Clark, Heath Miller were all integral in order to get to the next phase of the NFL, which involved the tight end being as heavily involved as it was. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season, basketball, and more. We've got it all on BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action happening right now at BetOnline, where the game starts. You guys know the drill. Make sure that you check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast and make that your second listen of the day. The biggest stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes or less. Instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you're getting your podcasts. Back into our conversation, looking at the next tier of guys that I have. Again, a guy who, unfortunately, the numbers aren't the greatest in the world but I do think he has a little bit of a case here about the same case that the previous guys held. I will tell you that after this player, it really takes off. Next, I got Bob Brewing. Now, Brewing was definitely not necessarily the most dominant player in the world, but he did play 10 seasons, and this was at a time where tackles were not a registered stat. Neither were sacks prior to 1976. So his first year in the league in 1975, he doesn't have any real statistics. He has one fumble recovery, didn't record an interception, and sacks and tackles weren't counted back then. Moving forward, he became a solid player, not a great player. Did make the Pro Bowl three times in 1979, 1980, and 1982, and was very important for the team winning one of their Super Bowls. He played for the Cowboys. I forgot to lead off with that. But he did register in his career nine nine interceptions, eight forced fumbles, or excuse me, eight fumble recoveries, and nine and a half sacks, or eight and a half sacks, excuse me. And he did win a Super Bowl. He was a one-time second-team All-Pro in 1980. He made the Pro Bowl three times. And then way back when, when you did all NFC and all AFC teams, he did make four all NFC teams. I don't have the years that he made it, but I would imagine that it was probably the run he had from 1979 to 1982. Again, not the greatest case in the world. He played 10 seasons and doesn't have a lot of stats to back up his play. For what it's worth, he is in the College Football Hall of Fame. And way back when, he was a very, very good player for the Sun Devils. If I had gone to the defensive side of the football to talk about the greatest defensive players earlier 
last or last year in 2022 when I did my all-time rankings, he probably would have been the number one linebacker on the team. Moving on, this is where it starts to take off for Sun Devils who like are incredibly deserving. If not, I'm surprised they're not in the Hall of Fame already. This is one of the guys who really stands out to me as kind of like a why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? That is Jim Jeffcoat. Jeffcoat was one of the more defined pass rushers during his very, very long NFL career. He played 15 seasons, which is unheard of. You really don't get a lot of guys who play 15 seasons. The Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees in the world are very hard to find. Going to the defensive side of the football for guys who have played that long, like Julius Peppers is far from common. Jared Allen is far from common to see that kind of production, see that kind of play for as long as they did. But Jim Jeffcoat was able to produce very, very well for those Dallas Cowboy teams. In his career, he has five double-digit sack seasons, which includes three consecutive seasons that he had from 1984 to 1986. During his time, he missed four games with the Dallas Cowboys. That's it. And his final season in Buffalo, he only played seven. So in his entire career, 15 seasons, he missed a whopping, what's that end up being? 13 games. Not even a full season's worth of missing time. Very, very good player. He also was able to benefit from having tackles added to his name. And during that time, when they did register tackles, he has 724 tackles as a defensive end slash tackle. At 6'5", 274, they were able to kind of move him all over, but definitely more of an edge rusher. But again, he is in the 100 sack club. Once you get to 100 sacks, you need to start a conversation about guys getting to the pros. Another thing for me, and this is me personally, this is not for a lot of people. I really really value longevity when it comes to getting guys to the hall of fame and to play 15 seasons. That is insane to me and to produce in those seasons, 724 tackles for an edge rusher is a lot of tackles. 102 and a half sacks is a lot of sacks. This guy. And, and for what it's worth, he also forced 18 fumbles, which is pretty darn good. It's not elite, but it's good. Jim Jeffcoat's numbers, I find to be underrated. And I feel like he needs to be talked about more for how important he was to those Dallas Cowboy teams way back when. And for what it's worth, during his career, he was a two-time Super Bowl champion and a forced fumble co-leader in 88. The problem? He did not have any Pro Bowls. Incredibly underrated, which included a 14-sack season but never got a Pro Bowl. And unfortunately, that is going to hurt his case a little bit is that he didn't have the accolades that a lot of guys have. No Pro Bowls, no All-Pros, just very underrated during his time in the pros. Again, that's that's going to hurt sometimes. Yeah, One of the guys I can think of most recently is Carlos Dansby, who I believe also needs to get to the Hall of Fame one day, but he also had no Pro Bowls in his career. He had one second-team All-Pro in 2013, but we're not talking about Carlos Dansby. We're talking about Jim Jeffcoat. So he's got an uphill battle. To me, to get to the Hall of Fame, Jim Jeffcoat is likely going to need to be one of those veteran additions 
that you see for guys who are on the ballot forever and were playing prior to statistics being a very big deal, especially the defensive guys that get hurt. But I believe that Jim Jeffcoat needs to get to the Hall of Fame one day. I believe that this is this is one of the more important Sun Devils that played in the pros. You is you easily, in my opinion, put him in the top 10 Sun Devils that have ever played in the NFL. Definitely a guy I believe to be very deserving of getting to the Pro Football Hall of Fame one of these days, hopefully sooner rather than later. Let's take a break for just a moment and talk about Bilt Bar. Looking for a delicious treat, but don't want to talk or don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to have a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me and want to get healthier, but don't want the compromise of taste, then you've got you've got to try Built Bars. You've got to try them. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, and plenty more. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they're healthy. They're only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab the 13-bar box with our favorite flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. Get yourself into the Built Bar craze right now. It's better than a protein bar. As, as always, one more time, thanks for making the Locked on Sun Doubles your first listen of the day. Make Locked on Sports your second listen as Peter Bukowski takes you around the around all sports and in the sports world in 20 minutes, if I'm not butchering this. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders. Lock on Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you're getting your podcasts. Top three guys. One of which blows my mind that he hasn't gotten in already. When you talk about interceptions, there are certain thresholds that I feel needs to start a conversation. Starting at 30 career interceptions, you start a conversation, in my opinion. 40 career interceptions. You need to get to the Hall of Fame eventually. 50? How are you not in? How are you not in already? That's the case for Eric Allen, one of the greatest Sun Devil defensive backs to ever play the position, ever play for Arizona State, only, in my opinion, behind the great Mike Haynes. Eric Allen played a long, long time in the pros. A whopping 17 seasons. Again, for somebody who values being able to have longevity in your NFL career, this is unheard of. 17 seasons. Played from 1988 all the way to 2001. In that time, 
he recorded 787 tackles. This is a corner, by the way, not a safety. 787 tackles, 54 interceptions. 54. Eight pick sixes. Also had a scoop and score in his final year in 2001. So nine defensive touchdowns. For reference, there are less than five players who have double-digit touchdowns defensively in the NFL. It's right around that number. I actually don't have it in front of me, so I really hope I'm right. For what it's worth, they also didn't count pass deflections for the majority of his career. They only started counting pass deflections in 1999, but in the three years that he he had counted pass deflections, he had 40 in three years. Guys, this is absurd production. Absolutely insane. 54 interceptions. He played seven years with Philly, in which he recorded 34 interceptions. He also was a five-time Pro Bowler in his time with Philly, including a first-team All-Pro, including an interceptions leader in 1989, where he had eight interceptions, and including a, a historic 1993 season, he had six interceptions and returned four of them for touchdowns. That is tied for an NFL record for most pick sixes in a season. Four. He continued his career with New Orleans. He played three seasons there, in which one of him had a Pro Bowl his first year in 1995. And he ended his career with four seasons in Oakland. He had 15 interceptions during that time and three pick sixes. All three of them came in one season. This is a guy who, when the ball was in his hands, he was absolutely deadly and ready to make a play. The fact he isn't in the Hall of Fame already is mind-boggling to me. I do not understand it. It is just, it, it, it it's insane. It is absolutely insane to me that a guy like Eric Allen hasn't been named to the Hall of Fame already. Six Pro Bowls, two second-team All-Pros, one first-team All-Pro. For what it's worth, he's part of the Eagles' 75th anniversary team, and he's also in the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame. Get him in the in the, in Canton, man. This is a non-debate for me. He's number two on my list for a reason. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. This is not an argument. This is a fact. Don't keep him waiting much longer than he needs to be waiting. Number two on the list, Darren Woodson. I don't think I need to go too in detail with him because you guys probably know your homework on a guy who is a finalist and will get there eventually. But for what it's worth, he's a three-time Super Bowl champion, which the NFL Hall of Fame, for better or for worse, does value. He is a four-time first-team All-Pro who is a five-time Pro Bowler consecutive years from 94 to 98. In his very long 13-year career, again, somebody who values longevity, he had 1,350 tackles. He had 23 interceptions. He had 11 sacks. He had 17 forced fumbles. He scored twice. That's pretty good. Averaging 100 tackles a year. Averaging 100 tackles a year in his entirety. Really didn't miss a lot of time. He went five consecutive seasons to start his career without missing a game. He missed two games in 97. He missed one game in 99. He missed five games in 2000. And he missed six games in 2002. Other than that, he was a 16-game starter. or Not starter. Six. He played 16 games. 1992, 
He had one sack to his name. Other than that, no statistics to show. But he did just absolutely dominate when he was able to play. When he was on the field, he was a massive difference maker for the team. Very, very important for the Dallas Cowboys during their massive dynasty run in the 90s. Should be in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully he gets in this year. If not, it's a travesty. Stop keeping this guy waiting. Number one, it's really obvious. He's not eligible yet, which is the reason why he's not in. This is a guy, in my opinion, should end up in like a first ballot induction. For my opinion, he's one of the greatest pass rushers of all time. He's got the accolades. He's got the numbers. He's got a nickname. T-Sizzle, Hacksaw, from Ball So Hard University, Terrell Suggs. Terrell Suggs was dominant. Almost through his entire career, he played from 2003 to 2019. 17 seasons in the NFL. One more time in case you didn't catch it the first time. I value longevity. That's insane. 17 seasons. Remember earlier I talked about Jim Jeffcoat and how rare it is for pass rushers to play that long. Terrell Suggs is the exception, not the rule. In his 17 seasons, 139 sacks. Keep in mind, in 2012, he only played half the season because he was recovering from an Achilles tear, and in 2015, he only played one game because he tore his Achilles. So essentially, in 15 seasons played, full seasons, he had 137 sacks. I'm taking two away from 2012 where he only played eight games. 137 sacks in 15 seasons. That's almost 10 a year. For what it's worth, he had a whopping one, two, three, four, five, six, seven double-digit sack seasons, including 2003 where he was a rookie. He played from 03 to 2019. He had 12 sacks as a rookie and one defensive rookie of the year. He was a part-time player, by the way, not a full-time guy. And then, of course, the 2011 season, the most marvelous of his career in which he won Defensive Player of the Year. He had his career-high 14 sacks. He had seven forced fumbles that year. He also had two interceptions. Dude was special. Dude was special. I feel as though Suggs is almost underrated when we talk about the greatest pass rushers of all time. He's got everything you're looking for. Defense rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. He has a first team and a second team all pro. He was a seven-time pro bowler. He led the league in forced fumbles in 2011 where he won his defensive player of the year. He has almost 900 tackles. This is an edge rusher. This is not a middle linebacker. He has almost 900 tackles. He has 39 forced fumbles, which is way up there for the most all time. I don't have the list in front of me. I would imagine he is somewhere near the top 10 in career force fumbles. For what it's worth, he has three touchdowns. Actually, he's a two-time Super Bowl champ. I forgot that he was he was with the Chiefs in 2019. Uh, he His final season in the league was 2019. Started with the Cardinals. The Cardinals cut him. The Chiefs picked him up through waivers, and then he won a Super Bowl with him. So he is a two-time champ.
You only really think of one Super Bowl, though, with Terrell Suggs, which, of course, was the Baltimore Ravens back in 2012, where he came back from an Achilles tear in like six to eight months. He was back. It was insane that he was able to recover so quickly. Terrell Suggs, slam dunk Hall of Famer. The only thing I ask is that you make him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Unfortunately, I just don't know if that's realistic because it's so difficult, but hopefully he is. That being said, those are seven players I believe to be Hall of Famers, some with stronger cases than others. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Locked on Sunnables podcast. Tune in tomorrow. We have a special guest coming on to the Locked on Sunnables podcast. I can't wait to talk to this guy later today. Until next time, though, you keep it locked right here. Unlocked on some